Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome once again to Redemption Meditations. I'm here with Dana and Steve, as usual. Gentlemen, how are you this evening? Doing just great. Doing good. So good. So good. Well, um, we have returned to our uh, the same topic that we've been on the last couple episodes um, regarding the Bible. You know, big surprise that that would be a topic for us. I know the audience is just absolutely shocked. Um, but I uh, I wanted to talk about and, and pick your brains about some specific, two specific issues. So maybe we'll we'll tackle the first one first, and then I'll bury the lead on on the second one and and absolutely surprise everyone with it. So, um, you go online, which is a terrible decision, really in every way, but. <laughs> you go online and one of the things that um, you'll hear secular people talk about, and especially you'll hear um, Roman Catholic apologists talk about is uh, the canon of scripture where you, you'll get the Roman Catholic guys saying like, well, the Bible you do have, which is wrong because it doesn't have the Apocrypha in it, but the Bible you do have, you only have because we gave it to you. Uh, that's like a, a standard line that, that you'll hear. Um, and so I, I wanted to maybe take a little time and talk about um, the canon of scripture, you know, not only what we believe it is, but what it, what it actually is and, uh, and has been and, and stood um, for, for, for many, many years as God gave it. Um, so um, well, we'll start with Steve, Steve, uh, what are these books of the Bible? What's in this canon? Well, let's go, let's back up and just, uh, I guess, maybe just establish what we mean by canon. So when we say uh, something that's been canonized or or uh, what is canon, what we mean by that are these are the books that we are giving the weight of the word of God to. Lots of books. How many, I'm sorry, how many ends in canon? Uh, the way I spell it, I believe it's, is it two or three? Now I don't remember. I wrote it down. Now I don't remember. <laughs> there should be I didn't two. know there was going to be a spelling no test, Dana. Yeah. It is, it is not, a, a, it does not shoot a ball. <laughs> no, no. Sorry. No. I, I we totally don't need that canon. Yeah. Yeah. The canon of scripture, C-A-N-O-N. Two right. Ends. Right. Two, two ends. <laughs> two ends. Yeah. So I started to question Sorry. myself, like, is it three? <laughs> So really the, you know, the Bible is more of a howitzer than a canon, yeah. but that's yes. right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We could talk about all the analogies for scripture. <laughs> you know, it's, a, uh, so, I, I'm sorry, so Steve. That's okay. I, that's okay. So, um, what we mean by canon is the books that we regard as having the, the weight of, of the word of God. And we talked in a previous podcast about what we mean by the authority, the inerrancy, the sufficiency that make these books unique from any other book. So we're regarding these differently. These are special. And that's what we mean by that. And just to, let's start out in the Old Testament. There wasn't really a lot of controversy here in the the old for example all the arguments that jesus and the pharisees had no there were no arguments about what the scriptures were they argued over what they meant and who they were talking about but there wasn't any well that's not in the scriptures or any of that that's the put that scroll over on the other shelf there was none of that right it, it, there was total clarity about this these are the scriptures I, I would only I would only clarify one point to say, and I agree with that. The Pharisees um, would agree; they would agree with Jesus on the thirty-nine books of the Old Testament were were canon. The Sadducees only took the Pentateuch, so the first five, the Torah, as inspired scripture by God. They didn't accept the rest of um, the Old Testament, but they were sort of um, so in our modern parlance. The Sadducees were sort of the liberals. They were far to the left um, theologically, and the Pharisees were far to the right theologically. So I just, just want to make that clarification. They were kind of two different 
theological camps. And so in in our modern language, we like liberal and conservative, but um, not kind of not, they still all rejected Christ. So they weren't really conservative in the sense that we would, yeah. but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. And then it, just, uh, just to touch on it, 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 even in the new Testament, there, very soon, the, the, the books of the Bible that we consider the New Testament, those the, uh, many, not all of them had been written yet, but the right. Gospels and Paul's letters, Peter even refers to, to Paul's uh, writing as scripture. So right. it was right out of the gate, basically, in, in, in ancient, you know, 2000 year time span, it was immediate uh, yeah. that it, it's being regarded those uh, books that we know of as as the books of the New Testament are being recognized as canon, and that's probably a, another good word just to touch on. When we say, when we're talking about what's canon, we're talking about books that are recognized as opposed to somebody somewhere is establishing them as canon. And, mm -hmm. and I think we would want to use that the that word purposefully. We're not just say. The three of us aren't getting together and saying, well, I really like this guy. This is now canon. We've decided it, and now it is so forever. Amen. Right. Yeah. It was clear it, for God's people that this is God's word, and we're just recognizing that. That's different. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah that's important because um, that is one of the criticisms of um, those on the left, I guess you could say, um, or, or unbelievers, for that matter, who would say that, uh, you know, how the Bible was established. Um, they wouldn't say established. They would say the Bible was, I don't know, compiled or whatever at the Council of Nicaea in three, 325 BC, uh, AD. And, and um, that they, they chose the books of the Bible. That's not how it happened. They recognized that these books were authoritative and and it's an interesting point to to kind of pick up on what you said steve um the 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 old testament was not in um in doubt right the jews accepted the the canon of the old testament so the 39 books they accepted it so there's some different numbering and and, and whatnot and there's a there's some there's some doubt in the mix but they accepted it essentially as it is, as we believe now. So we took what they believed and um, recognized that that's correct, that these are the books of the Bible. And, and, and so, so at the Council um, of Nicaea, when they chose the, the when they, <laughs> there it is, right? They didn't choose. <laughs> they recognized the, the 27 books of the New Testament um, uh, they they recognized, as Peter said in his uh, second letter, that um, that men men wrote as the Holy Spirit. How does he put it? That the Holy Spirit guided them. I think it says carried along. Wrote. Yeah, carried along by the Holy Spirit, right? And so um, they recognized that 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 these books were inspired by God. Lee, do you yeah, have anything to add to that? I think that to make? <laughs> no, not at all. I, I very much agree. Um, and I think that distinction about um, instead of, you know, making them like like people, it's not like people came to Nicaea and they brought all of these texts from the time and they hashed out which ones they thought were <laughs> were inspired. Um, right. It was there was actually consensus. Right. Um, right. And you can go through like. And we've mentioned this in previous episodes, but, you know, even if we didn't have an extant Bible right now, you could go through all the works of the early church fathers and pretty much with a few exceptions, assemble the entire Bible again, just through their own writings and sermons and, and things from the time. So I think that alone shows a ton of consensus that people knew um, that the Holy Spirit was at work in these particular texts. Um, obviously with the Old Testament already being – already having consensus behind it, but when it came to the New Testament books. Um, and despite what people have – might make of, of say, Martin Luther calling uh, uh, James a, a gospel of straw, an epistle of straw, 
um, yeah. it's in the canon, right? He even he didn't right. have the power to stop that because there would have been a riot even if he wanted to remove it from the canon, um, right? Because people know the power, um, and and also that uh, I think a big part of, um, and you know, so push back on me if I'm wrong on this, but um, there is that sense of unity between all the books, not only of the Old Testament with the New Testament, but within the New Testament and within the Old Testament that shows an actual unity of authorship, despite the fact that these are texts that are spread out over 2,000 years, multiple human authors, multiple genres. There is a level of unity uh, of, a, of one precise meta-narrative being told uh, across the entire Bible cover to cover that you couldn't fake over over that course of time you'd lose the plot right. literally yeah um, and that's quite yeah, a powerful it, testament itself yeah and, and so so the one the the at least the one that comes to my mind um old testament book that was sometimes questioned is the book of esther and um uh it's questioned because um I, so you guys correct me if i'm wrong god is mentioned in, in esther right um and so so um it's it's a it's a narrative of here's what happened um but god isn't isn't mentioned the, the people are in um uh exile um and so there's an interesting story there and so because because it's it's almost like to say what you were just saying about the, the continuity of the whole thing it, it almost from first glance looks like it doesn't fit and so it's been sort of cast aside by some to say, no, 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 that one doesn't fit because of these, you know, because, because it doesn't seem to fit the narrative, but it actually fits so perfectly in the narrative, mm -hmm. especially in the time of exile. Um, you know, sometimes I, when I've, when I've studied it or, or uh, taught it. Um, so Esther uh, is in the, in the, um, the generation uh, right before Ezra, which is in the generation right before Nehemiah. It's almost like, they're not related, but yeah. it's almost like grandson, father, mm -hmm. grandmother type of thing, right? Yeah. In, in those three generations. And it's the it's the steps back. It's how God brings his people back to the promised land, brings them back from exile. So it actually fits right into the narrative. Um, and even I mean, we could talk about Haman and, and the giant uh, scaffolding that he not scaffolding, but um uh, you know where they hang people um gallows that he builds yeah. it was a it was for giant you know, there's a, mm -hmm. there's a lot of connections there um that you have to kind of look deeply for but that's an example of a book that some have said ah this doesn't fit because it they don't think it fits that same unified story but it actually yeah. does yeah yeah which is really go ahead we, we we kind of talked about this in the previous podcast, but part of the reason, just to just to mention it again, the reason why these were able to be recognized as God's word is is some of the things we talked about in the last podcast. The fact that you have very specific prophecy that is then later fulfilled, yeah. and then you have apostles writing these letters and and these these gospels and these books of the new in the case of the new testament uh who are claiming to be eyewitnesses in the time of other eyewitnesses so somebody could have said hey i was there that didn't happen and and so there's a credibility there with a lot of these books that has been established and it's just being recognized and that's how people you know, 2000 years ago, almost, we're able to say, yeah, this is the word of God. It's different from a, from another book. And we get into that in a lot more detail in the last podcast, but yeah. that's why these books are being recognized as God's word. Yeah. 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 So I want to, I want to go to another attack on the canon and get your, your particular reads on this. Um, and it's not a new thing, but um, to be a little timely, uh, there was a video that went around on X, formerly Twitter, um, of a prominent um, gay, quote unquote, pastor um, taking doing like a Q and A session at his quote unquote church, um, and uh, the answer ended up being 
about pitting the words of Paul against the words of Jesus, uh, which again is not a new criticism. Um, and basically saying that his accusation was that the church has chosen to study and put Paul forward and not put the words of Jesus forward. Um, the teachings of Jesus being contra to the teachings of Paul. Um, I'd be curious um, since this is a, a criticism that has been around for at least decades, if not longer, um, you know, uh, what would you, what would you say uh, in opposition to that kind of idea where uh, uh, Paul might not even be an apostle. He didn't actually meet Jesus in the flesh the way the other apostles did. Uh, he only had a vision uh, is is his because of that? Uh, you know, are his letters should they not be accepted into the canon at all because he was quote unquote different from the the other apostles? What what say you? Well, I so this is the same argument. Beth Moore made the same argument on that same website with X, um, uh, Reese or a while back. Um, you know, we love Jesus more than we love Paul. Um, I say we worship Jesus. We don't worship Paul. Um, any more than we than we worship Mary or you know Abraham or you know name your name your character in the Bible, yeah. um, but Paul's so so first of all, um, Paul's an apostle called by Jesus himself, and that's an important point. Um, on the road to Damascus and and Luke in in Acts, Luke records that. Um, like Paul gives his testimony, but Luke records Paul giving his testimony three different times. Um, he tells the story when it happened in chapter nine, he does it again. I, I remember the chapters, but he does it two more times um, in Acts. And it's essentially, so sometimes he emphasizes some different details, but he says the same story. And uh, Luke is is not an apostle, um, but he is one who uh, clearly um, does all of the research. He's interviewed people. It's it's probably a legal defense for Paul, his, his writing. Actually, so he wrote Luke and then Acts. And if you read them both together, it's almost like part one, part two. And um, that's why they, we're quizzing they, on them both over, over the course of three years, starting now. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Bible quizzing people. Bible quizzing, rocks. Go, go team. Um, but, but, but it's a, it's, it's, Say, um, so there's a connection. And so if Luke is in writing an Acts, if Luke is authoritative, if, if his gospel and the book of Acts are um, part of Scripture, then he's not mistaken when he's quoting Paul and, and giving Paul sermons and saying, here's what happened. And then we did this and then we went there. And if Paul was out there and. Paul writes several of his letters during the times that he's on his journeys. Mm -hmm. And so, so for example, uh, I just started preaching in, in first Thessalonians and we think that he wrote that letter as soon as he got to Corinth. So he's in Corinth in chapter 18 of Acts. He had been in Thessalonica in chapter 17. So he, he gets run out of town and ends up spending some time in um, Athens. And then he goes to Corinth and he writes a letter back to the church so if Luke is doing all of this research to give a legal defense for Paul or an account, a faithful account um, of the spread of the gospel and the, and the establishment of the church, why would he spend so much time on Paul if, if Paul was a liar, right? If Paul was um, a, a, false gospel, a, a false apostle, it, the, the whole house of cards falls, if that's true, which is what they're trying. Usually critics are trying to actually do that. They're trying to take right, down the right. house of cards and, and it would if that's true but but it, it can't be true because if luke is lying if he's lying about that then he has to be you know chances are he's lying about other things and the whole book of luke the gospel according to luke is in many ways the most detailed account of christ at least of his birth right and the other gospel accounts all jive with like they all mm -hmm. they all fit together so if luke's lying then matthew and mark and john are all lying so the whole thing yeah. has to fall apart and and it it comes so in the end it comes down to faith right if if christ is not risen from the dead which all of those gospel accounts proclaim 
and that Paul says that's the that's the, the the of first importance, right? If Christ did not rise from the dead, then we are of all people most to be pitied. The whole thing is just a sham if that's not true. And so once you start pulling out and say, well, you know, I don't like this guy or or I, which is often what it is, right? So I'm sorry, I'm going on and on, but. No. Often I, I have a fix for this when you're done. Go ahead. I, I can solve your problem. Well, well, let me say this. Yeah. Say often it. when people are are saying, you know, we're, they're pitting Jesus against Paul, they're saying, I don't like some of the things Paul says. I don't like what he says about homosexuality. That's I didn't watch that clip. I started watching it and said, yeah, this guy's not on my team. Um, I bailed halfway through, but <laughs> <laughs> but. So that's often what it is, or or um, I don't like what he says about women in ministry, so they don't like that. Like there's there's things that people don't like that Paul says, and so let's let's debunk Paul. But the problem is, is if you debunk Paul, you debunk the whole thing, and you can't debunk the whole thing because because all of the Old Testament so clearly all points to Jesus, mm-hmm. all of it. And what Paul is saying and what Paul is writing in his letters, all it is, is he's expounding on things that Jesus taught. So when Jesus teaches on marriage, which he does, he answers questions about divorce. Paul takes that. He applies the law, you know, the, the, the God's writing to it, the other scriptures, and says, here's what marriage looks like. One man, one woman, right? Um, uh you know the the church discipline in first corinthians chapter five that's a, a, a appalling to me it, like he he writes about those things he's just taking what god has already said whether it's through christ often or in the old testament he's taking that and essentially just expound just preaching a sermon on it just explaining it to people that's what his letters are go ahead sorry <laughs> oh, well before i before i give my uh my solution to that problem uh, steve why don't you, you take this time to opine on the uh on the paul versus <laughs> jesus question yeah, well i i agree with dana that this is clearly just people who have their pet issue and a lot of times it does come down to the two dana mentioned it's the homosexuality issue or any sort of uh, male leadership in the church or anything like that i just don't like that Paul was very explicit about those things in a way that you would have to say whatever he wrote actually means the opposite of what he wrote. And so, you know, <laughs> so you got to do something with this Paul guy, this troublemaker. And and so they they want to pit Paul against Jesus. I would point to the uh, unity or simplicity within the the, uh, the the three persons of the Trinity. And if if the New Testament writers are carried along by the Holy Spirit, then whatever the Holy Spirit has to say on these issues, you better believe Jesus <laughs> has the same thing right. to say about these issues because of what we know about who God is. There's no there's no two one votes in the Trinity about anything <laughs> because of who we know Jesus is. So Jesus did speak very emphatically uh, about one of those issues, uh, when he rained fire literally <laughs> on a, a couple of cities yeah. for this specific sin. So That's speaking Jesus pretty was there. Jesus was not like not on the scene yet. He yeah. he made his opinion known on those things. Plus, Jesus did not come to uh, edit out, to control, alt, delete anything out of the law either. <laughs> and there's some stuff that addresses the, these things too. So I, I would I would respond to that with a, a you you don't have a very good understanding of who God is, period. Yeah. And and the and the other thing I would just say is Peter was running around with Jesus for you know three years, and yeah. he thinks what Paul wrote is inspired scripture. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. That, so now we got to throw point. Peter overboard if we're going to throw Paul overboard. Right. Yeah. That's and, that's, and also Paul met with all these guys and they right. considered him a true yeah. believer. And they were skeptical. So yes. right. Right. Paul was a persecutor of the church. Notoriously. Um, 
notorious yeah and and um when he became a believer um so acts chapter nine you can go back and look at when he became a believer nobody they were they were Lord, afraid do you know who he is yeah. <laughs> like, they, they were not interested they were scared of him and did not want to believe that he had actually been um born again right that he had actually been re regenerated by god himself and so they they weren't like super thrilled to just say hey go out there and say whatever you want buddy <laughs> i mean they were really um yeah. uh, nervous about it and, but then understood that it was the real deal that paul was actually regenerate that he was actually you know born again made new and I, that's such an important point that the that the apostles recognized that acts 15 he's at the jerusalem council um with with peter and with at least peter and mm -hmm. james um you know i think I, i'd have to go back and look i think there are i know there are others there too but at least peter and james are both there and they don't they they never they don't condemn him <laughs> um they never condemn him uh they they listen to his evidence of gentiles becoming believers and they rule based on his evidence evidence that he brings he and some others and like you said, Steve, you know, Peter, Peter acknowledges that some of his writings are hard to understand. <laughs> and then he says, which the ignorant and unstable twist as they do with all the scriptures and or all the other scriptures. Yeah. So he's he's putting Paul's writings in the category of scripture. And that, That's what second Peter 316. Yeah. Yeah. The, the yeah. ironic thing is. The stuff Paul had to say about homosexuality and who should be leaders in church are not a couple of the things that are hard to understand. Yeah, that's not what he's <laughs> Those talking are the clearer about. Parts. Those are really clear. Right, there's no doubt what Paul's saying there. That's yeah. not what he's talking about. I mean, I would argue Peter's writings are harder to understand. Than Paul's. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and Peter had some things to say about male headship and things like yep. that that aren't particularly yep. popular either. So he's you know, in the same boat, yep. I guess. Yep. Go ahead, Lee. Give it. Well, on this on this house of cards aspect, where if you're if you're or or Jenga game where you pull one block out and the whole thing falls down, uh, I, I'll I'm just going to appeal to the Pope. Um, pope Andy Stanley said uh -oh. uh, that we need to realize that our faith is is uh, founded on a, on an event, not a book. Um, so you could put the whole Bible to the side and just say that, you know, Jesus was crucified on a particular day and, uh, was raised again three days later and that's it. You've got it. And so all this, all this fussing about the Bible and all this stuff is just, just plain silly, just unhitched from unhitched from the old Testament and the new Testament too. Why not? It's an event, not a book. Boy, well, I hope you can hear the sarcasm in my voice. <laughs> the, the unspoken part this of has that. Been, <laughs> yeah, this has been episode, redemption medication. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the unspoken part of that is, and so listen to me on uh -huh. marriage. Right. That's yeah. the, He's not going to say that, but that is by implication. That's what he's saying. Don't listen to these guys who wrote the Bible on these particular issues listen to me on marriage i mean you're about halfway back to the garden yep has that has god really god said really yeah so the the confession the 1689 confession article one paragraph 10 says the supreme judge for deciding all religious controversies and for evaluating all decrees of councils opinions of ancient writers human teachings andy stanley and individual interpretations and in whose judgment uh, we are to rest is nothing but the Holy Scripture delivered by the Spirit. In this Scripture, our faith finds its final word. The problem with that view, with St Andy Stanley's view, the, and and others like it, the problem with that is, um, so you can you can say it this way: By what standard, right? By what standard do we believe in the resurrection? Um, how do we know that that happened? We know it because the <laughs> because the Bible tells us so. Um, you know, you, you can't just pick and choose. I like this. I don't like these other things. 
-hmm. it, it either the Bible is authoritative or it's not. And, and we're going to argue it is authoritative. The actual issue is either I want to submit to the Bible or I do not. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the actual issue that's yeah. happening here. And most of humanity has said, I, I don't want to submit to that. I don't like this. I don't like that. I don't like all these other things. I'm not going to submit to it. Um, I'm not going to live my life based on, you know, the the imperatives of scripture. Um, so therefore it's out. Well, mm -hmm. that means that you are um, the 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 final judge and final authority of your own life. It's when Andy Stanley or any preacher says something like that. He's saying, I'm the final authority here. You got or you you too can be the final authority. You too don't have to believe in what the scripture says is true. Yeah. You can just pick and choose and Yeah, and it's, th that's it's so the, dangerous. It's the American individualized version of Rome's problem, which is appealing to the magisterium actually as the highest authority, not to right. scripture itself, but actually the magisterium has power over scripture when it comes to interpretation. And so that's why it's so important I think especially for Christians of the Reformation, right? Reformed Christians, especially to hold scripture as the highest authority, because we have the benefit of having secondary authorities. Um, you know, uh, um, the d elders in the church, for example, uh, we're all serving under the authority of scripture, right? We don't have a self appointed authority. We are in that office because scripture requires that office and gives qualifications for that office. That's just one example of, of secondary authorities, but all subsumed under the authority of scripture as the highest authority. So a human teaching can be, um, can be credibly called true because it's accurately um, expositing the truth of scripture, for example. Um, and sure. that, so to, just to talk a little bit about that language from the confession, I think that's uh I think it's super important. Yeah, I, I, I think, think I, one thing we, we want to note here is that Scripture is going to rub roughly against part of all of us. Yeah. There's going to be stuff in that book that we just, oh, I would not have put that in my Bible if I got to write it. <laughs> and the difference is where we as faithful Christians run into those things, we must conclude, therefore, there must be something wrong with me, as opposed to, therefore, clearly, there must be something wrong with this book, or the guy who actually wrote this book, because I couldn't, I, I certainly couldn't be the problem. It must be something wrong with the book. So that's where the, the difference lies. It's not that we are in every part of us, including that flesh part of us that still needs to be conformed to Christ, we're totally delighted at every word in the book. No, there's stuff that runs into par parts of us that we say, that part of me needs to change. I'm wrong. Yeah. 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 So and, instead and, uh, of going out there and buying a Queen James Bible, because you want to hear, you want to be affirmed in a particular sin, for example. Right. I'm not no, going to modify to the message. Right. Yeah. Exactly. The, Sorry, so you what you were saying there. a minute ago, what you were saying a minute ago about, um, uh, you know, the authority of the scripture itself. And, and um, uh, it kind of ties in with the why or how we view, for example, the Apocrypha, the Apocryphal books. Um, which were written between in the in the intertestamental period, most of them. So um, we we view them. In fact, um, I, I found a, a statement by Martin Luther. He he said these are books that, though not esteemed like the holy scriptures, are still both useful and good to read. So there's there's books out there, and so there. So this is the the rub that um, Roman Catholics would have because in the in the uh, what is it? The Council of Trent, I think they yeah. accepted them as part of their um, the the scripture and yeah and, and right and we and we as Protestants um, by and large no Protestant accepts them as um, part of the Excellent. canon of scripture. They can be very beneficial, but they're not any more than any other book written by man. So so what we're saying is we don't believe that they are inspired 
in the same way that say Isaiah is inspired, right? Or or Luke, Matthew. We don't believe that the Holy Spirit carried them along as they wrote these books. They're just they can be helpful. Um, uh, there's some history in some of them, and there's some interesting things in some of them. But in some of them, there's some weird things, and some yeah. uh, some things that we could say that never happened. <laughs> you know, there's no <laughs> evidence wrong. that. Right, right, or yeah, yeah. that's wrong. Um, yeah. There evidence of some things in Jesus's childhood, and uh, that are just completely, like, almost obviously made up. And yeah. um, yeah, so we can we can. But what's interesting about it is when one of the uh, one of the criticisms that people like on the Catholic side or, or some others will say for us not accepting those books is that we're, we're missing or that then therefore our Bibles are wrong um, or incomplete, but the, the path of salvation and the, the knowledge of the Lord, those apocrypha books don't add any of that. Like, it's not like we're taking out, you know, well, you have to, you have to trust in the Lord with all your heart and, um, uh, you know, repent, be baptized, and then do this other thing, and then you'll be saved. And this yeah. other thing happens to be in the book of Third Maccabees. You know, <laughs> that that whole that whole um, idea uh, is not in there. There's not like, you know, um, and I should put it this way. Uh, scripture doesn't contradict each other. And in some of those books, there's there's things that that do, and so so if if for example if I wrote a book, and in it, um, it could be a great book. It wouldn't be a great book if I wrote it, but it could be a great book, and it could be very beneficial and helpful. But there might be wrong things. Like I might get something wrong theologically, and and if I do, then it's wrong. It's error. Like and and someone could write a book that leads people astray that's happened all the time i mean lots of people have done that but the scripture the 66 books old and new testaments um they do not contradict each other they do not contain errors um they 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 are uh, sufficient for understanding who god is what he has done in jesus christ the, the, the plan of salvation um how one becomes saved and becomes right with god all of that is in there, and it, it's not missing. Everything that we need for um, life and godliness is in the words that we have. Sufficient. Sufficient. Yeah. Amen. So I want to broach a, a second topic in the in the remaining time that we have, and uh, has to do with uh, the interpretation of Scripture, uh, which is also really important, uh, and it's a favorite uh, ten dollar theological term hermeneutics hermeneutics uh would anyone like to wager a definition of hermeneutics what are we talking about when we talk about that guy i Herman i, I could give you Mr. one Nunes. there's a lot of different uh people out there defining that term but i'll give you uh one it's the 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 science and art of biblical interpretation. It's how I understand what the Bible is, is saying. And then within that world, there's a lot of different schools of thought. I interpret it this way, interpret it that way. I'm sure we'll probably, I'll let these guys get into all those, but, but it's basically, how do I read my Bible? How do I understand my Bible? How do I interpret it? That's the, the gist. Yeah. I, I, I like that. This, um, science and art it is it's it's both i mean there's a science to it but there's also yeah. an art to it which is which is more um almost like a you know when you see it you know you know it's bad when yeah. you see it's bad you know it's good when you see it's good you know it, um there there is that to it um one of the somebody a long time ago used a phrase um that i think is actually helpful so sometimes we get into when we talk about interpreting we, um, you know, we, we like to say, well, we interpret the Bible literally. Well, we do when it's appropriate, but it's not always appropriate to interpret it literally, like not in each, 
every little verse, right? So uh, this somebody said, you know, what we what we actually practice are like normal. We interpret the Bible normally, normal hermeneutics. And and so if something is poetry, it's meant to be poetry. It it might not be literal in the same sense, right? You you can't really read Song of Solomon literally. <laughs> yeah, it's poetry. That's a weird looking lady. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Let's not even try and describe her. Um, it, it, you know, it's the same thing like Proverbs. Um, you know, I, I've known people that have held to Proverbs as promises. And Proverbs aren't really promises, not promises of God, right? Like train up yeah. a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. That's not necessarily a promise for every single person. It's generally true, right? So it's if you, wise. If you, it's a wise it, saying. <laughs> it is a wise saying. It's generally true if you put the work in with kids or if you don't put the work. However, you, you actually can interpret that verse positively negatively. or negatively. Yeah. Um, but But it's generally true. But we all know of faithful parents whose kid just, you grew up and didn't believe, right? And it could be they were awful. Um, so if we interpret the Bible normally, it kind of helps us to, um, to 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 understand actually what the authors is saying or yeah. what the scripture is actually saying. I want to be careful about saying what the author is saying because anyway, that's a whole different little rabbit trail. So sometimes what I mean by that is. Um, like I don't, I don't know that every, for example, Old Testament author understood the depths of the prophecy. For example, like in Isaiah, I don't know that he understood the depth of the prophecy that Jesus then explains in the New Testament, right, or fulfills. And the initial um, audience they, might have not seen that either at the time. Right, right. Because that, a lot of times you'll hear you'll hear people talk about like we have to interpret the text only in light of what the initial audience would have understood. And even though that's an important thing, like you don't want to rip a book so far out of context that you make it say something that only makes sense in our times, in our contemporary era and not to their time. But also right. that's not exactly the most important, the mo the ultimate important thing to get out of a particular um, biblical text. It's important for understanding the context um, but there's there's often much more um, much more there to get out than just simply that. I hope yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, so it's take, important take but not the, um, take the the uh, day of atonement law in Leviticus chapter sixteen. As Christians, we can read that law and just see Christ all over that whole chapter. Right. In, in every part of it, right? From the, the, the scapegoat that, that has the sin cast on him and is taken outside the camp, never to be seen again, um, to, to the sacrifice, to the, like we can see, and, and Hebrews explains that. The Jews didn't understand all of that. They went, okay, now we have to do this, then we do that, then we do this. Then our sins are forgiven until the next time we sin, which is probably, you know, during dinner yeah. <laughs> when right. dad gets mad at the kids or whatever, right? Like, they didn't understand. Now, were there some that put it together? Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly, there were people in the Old Testament who said, somehow God is going to provide a lamb. When John the Baptist showed up on the, on the scene, that's what he said about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that, for most people, that statement, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, would have been staggering. Right. 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 What is he talking about? For those who have lived in that sacrificial system, oh my word, oh my God, right? Like, yeah. This is the really, actual you know, like, right way to say that. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Like a praise <laughs> that isn't blasphemy, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. So, so just to kind of, that's just an illustration of like, um, you know, did Jonah understand when he was in the belly of the fish that one day the Lord will be in the belly of the earth in the same way that I'm in the, <laughs> Jesus says that. I know, get no me out of here, way. Lord. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
I mean, he, he, we have a prayer that he prayed from the belly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think uh, one of the things you said, Dana, you, I think you used the word, we interpret it normally in, yeah. in the same way we communicate with people now. So this is one of the things where detractors are people who, let's just say it, hate God and, and don't yeah. want you to believe the Bible may, may, may uh, toss a few stones this way by basically saying, see, <laughs> this isn't right. Yeah. So the Bible may say something about how many people are in an army or how many people are in the city. If I, if I say to you, hey, there's 10,000 people that live in that town, but actually there's 10,014, you guys aren't going to say, yeah. Steve's a liar. <laughs> right. I, right. I, I'm 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 communicating in a normal way. You're rounded. Right. And, and I'm giving you a, a truthful understanding of some information. And and the Bible may uh give us information the same way. The other thing the Bible will do is it will use normal illustrations and language. So if if you're sitting watching a football game and somebody says, Wow, that guy can fly. They do not mean <laughs> he literally can fly around in the air. And you know that. You right. know what he means. And the Bible yeah. uses language like that sometimes. It's poetic language, right? It's trying to uh, make a point. And it's using language the way we all use language. It's not because it's trying to deceive you into thinking that that football player can fly in the air. It's just a parlor uh, trick, basically. Man, I should start watching football. To, yeah, yeah. It's just a great a example of that trick to try to get you to start to doubt the Bible, yeah. and it's a stupid little trick that you should not yeah. give any credence to at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was trying to think of some some examples of bad ways to interpret the Bible, and I thought of two. Um, one would be like a. Uh, um, for for really no term, but the like, what does this passage mean to me? Kind of hermeneutics, right? Where you take uh, maybe a verse or two from your morning reading and and search deep inside yourself and ask, you know, what does this text mean to me? Um, and so one text could have a majority, could have as many meanings as it has readers, right? Um, yeah. And that's patently incorrect because God has a message that He is communicating through His Word. And it's not different messages for different people. He has one message for humanity, and it's communicated through Scripture. Um, and that's that, that's important. It might have it might have several different kinds of application, but it, right. it has one message. So if you get to into like some of the imperatives in some of Paul's writings in in his letters, right? Um, it might you might read something like um, you know put off falsehood. Mm -hmm. Well. That might that might be a different kind of put off falsehood that you need to do than I need to do. Yeah. Do, do you know what I mean? Like it still means stop. But put lying. off falsehood doesn't mean oh I need to be my most authentic self and not be false to who I <laughs> right. am. It, be true to myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but but it but it might mean like you know I've been a little bit deceptive in you know in this area. I, I haven't told the whole truth in this area. Man, I, I really need to, and it might mean for somebody else, man, I've just been lying to everybody and I need to stop it. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah so, so the application, um, and, and maybe that's even more of a black and white type of yeah. command, but the application might be a little more, uh, it's applicable to everyone mm -hmm. um, in some different way, but it means put off, put off you know, put off falsehood. <laughs> yeah. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, like it means that. Yeah. Yeah. I um, think one of the things that's important uh, is to, as, as someone's trying to decipher, what does this mean? That search probably should not start with me or you. So uh, the illustration I like to use is if you're uh, a 14 year old boy and you wake up on a Saturday morning and there's a note from mom on the kitchen table that says this house better be clean when I get home. She does not mean your version of clean. <laughs> you know what she means. You yeah. know what mom's version of clean is. So to define the word clean, we need to start out with mom 
and what her yeah. version of clean is. Not because the thirteen year old boy's gonna walk around and go, It looks pretty good to me. I guess I I'm can done. see the floor. <laughs> and we all and we all again have that tendency to kind of want to interpret it the way I want to see it. And if that's the case, then we are doing hermeneutics wrong. Yeah. It, this does have an ultimate author who's communicating something to us. What does he mean is uh, the place to start as opposed to what does this mean to me? That's bad. That's a bad way of doing it. Yeah. Instead, you know, if you come to an unclear text, you know, and this is this is even taught in the confession, but the thing that you do is you find a related clear text that will then yeah. inform the meaning of that unclear text. That's why it's so handy to have a Bible that has cross references in it because it will oftentimes point you to a much clearer text that is going to answer the question that you had by reading the first text. And so then the Bible answers the Bible, <laughs> you know, the Bible, you interpret scripture with scripture. That's sort of the basis, part of the basis of good hermeneutics is don't search outside the Bible for an explanation to what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. um, commentaries are a different story uh, for different reasons, but when it comes to actually finding out what the Bible means, the Bible says what it means um, and usually says it in multiple places in different ways for our, for our benefit. Um, and then I had, I had one other thought on hermeneutics and then um, we can wrap up and ascend the library ladder together as, as is our want. Um, as far as like what a, a reformed hermeneutic is like, there are, you know, there are many different styles of hermeneutics. Some are better than others. I would wager and you know, tell me what you think. Um, the one that, that is taught in reformed circles, uh, would be, uh, I guess what I would call, and I think I've heard other people call as well, a, a, a redemptive historical hermeneutic meaning tracing that theme of redemption from old from Genesis all the way to Revelation and telling the story of the gospel as it's proclaimed in those different parts of of scripture. Okay. Do you, does that valid? I, I think so. Uh so the the other view is the grammatic um grammatic historical, historical right where where the meaning of uh the meaning of the author's intent comes first, right? Th those are the two, the two uh, opposing. Mm -hmm. They're not even really that opposing. They, they can be opposing viewpoints. Um, I think the redemptive historical is, uh, I read a book. I'll make this, I'll make this my library ladder book. I don't, I don't know oh. if I have done it before, but um, it was helpful. I'm going to, I'm going to read it with my foot on the brake in a couple of areas but called jesus on every page um by uh um david murray um i don't have it with me and it's in my office but one of the things that was helpful for that book was the plan of redemption is clear from the beginning right i mean you can go to the proto evangelium right um genesis 315 um the the uh, uh offspring will crush the head of the serpent um you know destroy sin and death and and you can see that fulfilled in revelation like that that whole that that scarlet thread of redemption as somebody has said at one point um is woven all throughout the entire bible um i think that's important i think people can take it a little bit too far and um i don't know that spurgeon ever really said this but he sometimes is attributed he's attributed to saying lots of things he didn't really say but <laughs> he's attributed to saying like you know i I start in the text and I make a beeline for the cross, whether he said it or not, I'm not sure. But um, yes, I want to preach the gospel in every sermon. Um, but there are some, some passage, not every word in the Bible is about Jesus. It all, all of the Bible points to Jesus, but not every word, not every verse, you know, you, you can do, uh, wrong hermeneutics to take a verse out of context and then just a, slap it on jesus right? right um uh so we have to be careful about that but i do think that uh in the redemptive historical um hermeneutic is um i i think it's the most faithful way to read and interpret and understand the scriptures that we need a savior 
and and God has provided one in his only begotten son. Based. Yeah, I think, uh, I, I think it is right to say that the Old Testament is about and is pointing to and looking forward to Jesus. Now, what the, the mistake I think Dana's talking about is we can start to over- allegorize so that literally every person mentioned mm -hmm. in the old testament it, it, we don't want to fall into the temptation of saying see that's jesus well there's a lot of people mentioned in the old testament and that's not true <laughs> yeah. of lots of them goliath even is though, not jesus <laughs> right clearly <laughs> goliath is not jesus but i do think it's true to say the themes that we run through in the old testament keep pointing us to the coming promised Messiah and the, the person who's going to fix this Genesis three problem we have, that mm -hmm. is true. Yeah. We can take it too far and, and make allegories that that's not really what is meant in yeah. this, but in a zoomed out way. Yes. It's from 30,000 feet. It is all about Jesus. If we zoom into this particular five verses, we need to pump the brakes. I think that's a good way of saying it. Be yeah. careful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, since Dana already mentioned the library ladder, what was the name of, of your book again? Jesus on Every Page by David Murray. He's a professor at um, Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary. He's a Scottish guy and a professor in Michigan. <laughs> that's Beaky School. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's a Puritan, right? Yeah, Puritan yeah. Reformed Theological Seminary. Right on, right on. Steve, what do you have? All right, so I've got uh, God Without Passions oh! by Renahan. Yes. I'm on a Renahan kick, so oh, you might yes. it might not be the last Renahan book I, I recommend, but it's about divine impassibility. Yes. If, uh, if you're watching this and you're saying huh and <laughs> you're you're feeling a little bit like i don't i'm not a hundred percent what <laughs> don't feel bad you have lots of good company that's why this book is it's an easy it's i don't even know if it's 100 pages it might be just under it's about 100 pages you can Jim, literally the man I, renahan is yeah, such a I, good writer i sat down and read it in one sitting it, yeah. it's a great book if you want to figure that out if you're feeling a little bit like uh-oh good book to get a get a little bit of a handle on that obviously it's not exhaustive but a great book to to sit down and read so good i have uh, so that I, I went way back in the archives this is one of the first books um that i read when i was beginning to get reformed um words from the fire by al moeller it's a nice yes. study of of the ten commandments uh, really helped me with some questions I had at that time about um, the not only the what they what the Ten Commandments mean, but um, how they apply um, how they apply to me as a Christian today. Very very helpful, well written book. Um, it's hard not to recommend Moeller uh, when you come across him, um, but that's a great one. Words from the fire. Anything else for the good of the order, gentlemen? That does it. Yeah, I think we're done. I think a blessing is in this order. Is a, this is a, uh, we were gone last week. I want to acknowledge that. We, we did not record last week because ministry happens and uh, we got busy. Um, uh, but we're back. So, yeah. We're back with the, the part three of our triumvirate uh, yes. on the scriptures. The next week, so yeah, we have next, never next been more back than what we are we, right now. I mean, better than before. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> but don't get your hopes up too high. You know, <laughs> let's just be realistic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. <laughs>